is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation. Mystery Hour with James O'Brien. Oh gosh, that was a bit, a bit, a bit special, a bit different. That, but um, my job now, of course, is to press onwards into a new direction. And that direction, because it's Thursday and it's 12 noon, is, of course, Mystery Hour, your weekly opportunity to achieve the sort of satisfaction not ordinarily available anywhere else on your radio dial. The way it works is this. You have somewhere in your consciousness a question burbling and bubbling away, a question to which you know there must be an answer, but which you have been thus far unable to find. Uh, It might be that you could find it out quite easily by Googling it, but don't. Because somebody listening to this programme will know the answer. And this hour of radio offers them an opportunity to just share their knowledge. Not to show off, but to share knowledge in a way that younger generations are not going to have to do. Because they will have all the knowledge in the world in the palm of their hand. Ooh, that was almost a poem there at the end, wasn't it? All the knowledge in the world in the palm of their hand. But you do. I've got, I've got my phone in my hand now and I could find out almost anything in the, in the blink of an eye. And think back to the conversations we've been having all morning. Think back to 75 years ago today when they'd managed to actually keep secret the assembly, I think, of, of, of the largest land force <laughs> seen in the Second World War, possibly seen ever in, in Europe. And, and they kept it secret. Think about the technology that has appeared on this planet in the intervening 75 years. You can't keep anything secret now. You've probably got a device in your kitchen that that might be listening into you when you use certain words. Amazing. So that's what I mean when I say that the relationship between knowledge and and, and the human brain is changing in ways that that we won't appreciate the ramifications of for generations to come. All of which is a very pompous way of setting up Mystery Hour, actually. Forgive me. It's basically the radio equivalent of those notes and queries, those Q&A features that you see in your favourite newspapers and magazines, but which often take weeks to achieve an answer. And um, what happens is this. You ask a question, someone else listening knows the answer, and they ring in with it. There are only two rules, and one of them is pretty shaky. I've got to level with you. The first rule is never be dull, which is entirely in the ear of the producer or or the presenter, because occasionally the producer will put through a very dull question, and then I shall indulge in some comedy ribbing. But um, the other rule used to be no motoring questions. And that still holds, although I'm not as opposed to motoring as I used to be. One of those many areas of life where a little bit of maturity can go a very long way. But I don't want questions about, you know, miles to the gallon and, and all that malarkey. Seven minutes after 12, don't ask a question that's already been asked, but of course, how will you know? Uh, there is a brilliant archive on uh, at lbc.co.uk where you can have a look at um, questions that have been asked in the past. And what that archive teaches us, again, it's a bit pompous, what, the, what that archive demonstrates, it teaches anything, is that, that the answers are the point here. It's the fun. It's, it's almost like the journey is more important than the destination. That's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's the fun we have on the journey. Not necessarily the illumination we receive when we get to the actual destination. It's it's eight minutes after 12. And I think with no further ado, we'll get things underway. Ted is in Bexley Heath. Ted, question or answer? Hey, good afternoon, James. Hello, Ted. My question is this. Yes. Why in aeroplanes does the pilot sit on the left-hand side and in the helicopter the pilot sits on the right-hand side? Is, is that is that true? I mean, it must be true, otherwise you wouldn't have said it, would it? Would, okay, mm. I, 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 I don't... I'm just trying to think. 
Yeah, you normally get um, the co-pilot sits on the right, but the pilot sits on the left in an aeroplane. Yeah. And say so in the helicopter, I was, I was watching ER Rescue last night, and that um, I noticed that the pilot was in the right-hand seat. So I just wondered what the what the answer. And there it was, popped into your brain, and I thought, I know who I'll ask. I know what I'll do Absolutely. with that little question. I'll get it onto Miss Chair, and here you are. First up, we shall do our level best to get you an answer, Ted. Um, I hadn't clocked it before. I hope it's true on all helicopters, not just the one Ted saw on the telly last night, because that would sort of put a bit of a hole below the waterline of this particular inquiry. But let's let's find out. Actually, shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, nine after 12. Ron's in Ealing. Ron, question or answer? Uh, question, and you've used it quite a few times. Here we go. It's you, kind of keep, what are you blaming me for now, Ron? What am I getting the blame oh, no, for no, no, now, no, Ron? No, no. And it's, <laughs> it's keeping in the theme of D-Day as well. Oh, yes. Um, Blighty. Bli- I know it means Britain, but Blighty. What's the link between the, the word Blighty and Britain? I've always wanted Blighty. What a cracker. You, you can stop saying Blighty now, Ron. I've got, I've, got the gist, <laughs> I've got the gist of the question. I can't believe we've never done that before. And I don't think we've ever done it before because I haven't even got the beginnings of a, m- beginnings of a muddled answer bubbling away in the back of my brain somewhere. Blighty. It'd be naval, I imagine. Don't you think? It'd be naval. Well, yeah, I've, I've been trying to, because I, I you know, um, being an Afro-Caribbean origin, we, we use a lot of slang words. And yes. I'm thinking, is there like a slang? Is there, I'm trying to work out, is there slang? But Britain, Blighty, I can't make the connection. No, nor can I. Is is Blighty used in um, West Indian Patois or not? Is it? Is it a... um, no, no, no I've, only, I've only heard it on films. No, and, same here. And yourself. Um, what, me? Uh, yeah. Me and The Great Escape, that's it. That's yeah, yeah, when you, when you, when you, whenever you've gone on holiday, so I'll, I'll, uh, since I've been back in Blighty. And back I've to Blighty. Said, <laughs> Yeah, Let's find out for you. So I should really know. I shouldn't use words I don't know the meaning of. I normally jump down people's throats for doing that. But on this occasion, well, I know the meaning of it. I just don't know the derivation or the origins. What a lovely question. Thank you, Ron. So airplane and helicopter pilots, why do they sit on different sides of the cockpit? And what is the origin of the word blighty to describe Great Britain or the United Kingdom? It actually might be one and not the other. I don't know. Jules is in Sheffield. Jules, question or answer? Hello, James. It's a question. Hello, Jules. Go on. Uh, what is the smallest animal that could kill a human in its own right? Well, well, so not, so, wait, so not by, not by injecting. You know, like mosquitoes inject malaria or whatever they do. Not, well, not by injecting a parasite or something, but something that could kill a person just under its own steam, just one thing, by biting them. So or not poison, then. No, no, no poison well, yeah, or no venom. Poison. So no. Yeah, no, no. I think that's, bacteria. No, that's allowed. But not, you know, like mosquitoes, you know, they're small, but it's the, it's the kind of the bacteria that they inject. That so you want that when you kill it, I, but, but it just, um, I don't know that that's, first of all, Jules, what have you got planned, mate? Well, I, I, well, I, I came into where I work and yeah. there was like a little red creepy frightler that was sat on the, uh, you know, on the door handle and I thought, ooh, I don't like the look of that. And no. I, thought, I wonder if that, if that could kill me, if it bit me. Well, how, how though? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to kill you unless it had some venom or some poison in it. Oh, it? oh yeah, no, but that that would be allowed because that's un, that's its own, you know, its own poison. But it, but not not by injecting a. So so a uh, so a mosquito might accidentally kill you by giving you malaria, whereas you want. Yes. And there are mosquitoes that don't carry malaria, so you want yes. something that is deliberately designed to kill you. Yes. Yeah. So what's the smallest animal that could do that? Flipping and I don't it. mean either by. Uh, 
by, you know, anaphylactic shock. You could have an allergic reaction to something that... That doesn't you, count. But, no, but wouldn't it depend be... if you were unconscious or not? You could probably get killed by a, by a mouse. Well, I suppose, yeah. Well, if that's the smallest thing, then you've answered it, haven't you? But I, I don't know if not. it's the smallest thing. I mean, I was thinking more of a rat. A rat will gnaw through anything, wouldn't it? In the, but yeah, it depends I'll, whether you're I'll, conscious I'll, or not. So are you, are you conscious or are you not conscious when this tiny animal attacks you? I think you're conscious. All right. I, I was thinking something like a spider or something, or, you know, something along those lines, but I just wondered what's the smallest animal. I, there's quite a lot of parameters. We've got quite a lot of rules here. So you've got to be conscious. Yeah, right. It's got to be deliberate as opposed to accidental. So choking on a fly wouldn't count, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no. No, and it's, <laughs> and it's not... It, it, Right, I'll, f- I'll find out. I, well, I might find out. I don't know. I think you'll be all right with whatever it was on the door handle at work, though, Jules. Yeah. <laughs> I think if Sheffield, if Sheffield was under threat from fatal insects, we'd have had it on the news. I suspect so. Yeah, I'm just not going to fall asleep near my door handle, just to be fair. <laughs> Thank you, Jules. What's the smallest animal that could kill a conscious human? If you know the answer to that, I'll give you the money myself. Um, origin of the word blighty. I think I might know. Ah, is it something to do with the Raj? We'll find out. Uh, and why do pilots sit on different sides of the cockpit in aeroplanes and helicopters? Andrew is in Durham. Andrew, question or answer? It's an answer. Carry on, Andrew. Uh, it was to the blighty question, and then you just hit the nail on the head. It Go- was the Eng- English soldiers studied out there. I, I think it was a Hindi word originally. Meaning what? Meaning home. Oh, oh, no, I didn't know that. I thought it might have something to do with the subcontinent, but... Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it, it was another word that's been taken over by the racists and bigots that they don't know the meaning of, really. So what, There's plenty of people who aren't racist or bigots who use the, use the well, word blighty. Well, hijacked like the me. word, let's Like say. me. How, 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 are you sure about this? What are your qualifications? I studied 20th century history at university. I... I... Yeah, I did... did, did. I think it means foreign rather than home, but apart from that, you're oh, okay. on you're on the money. It's derived from an Urdu word. Urdu, yeah. That's that's sweet, sweet as a nut. Round of applause for Andrew. Nicely done. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. That gorilla wouldn't have got that in a million years. I've got to be honest. There's a, 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 a room for a little bit more information on that. I might share it. Twelve fifteen is the time. Switchboard is full, but we do turn calls over very, very quickly during this hour. So if you can answer, we'll draw a line through that. It comes from an Urdu word meaning foreign, um, and that is where we get the word blighty from. Aeroplanes and helicopters. Why do the pilots sit on different sides of the cockpit? And what's the smallest animal Ron needs to know? But otherwise, he's never going to leave work today. He's, he's terrified of touching the door handle. What's the smallest animal that could deliberately kill a conscious human being? And I'm not holding out a huge amount of hope for that one, but... Sometimes those are the circumstances in which we achieve the most unlikely satisfaction. This is LBC. Twelve nineteen is the time. What's the smallest animal that can kill a conscious human? Why do the pilots sit on different sides of the cockpit on a uh, helicopter or an airplane? Which gives you quite a nice illustration, actually, of how serious or how silly the questions can be on Mystery Hour. 03456060973 is a number to call if you uh, want to join in. If you've got a question of your own, if you can answer any of the ones that have popped up. Joelle is in Hendon. Joelle, question or answer? It's a question, please. Carry on. I want to know why a hen's called a hen and a stag's called a stag. Why isn't it a hen and a cockerel or a stag and a doe? Why isn't it a married couple? Hmm. I don't know. I, I can't believe we've never done that before. This is where we 
someone will point out we probably have done this before, but I'm getting very old, Joel. I can't remember what the mm. answer to this is, so we shall put it up anew. I mean, they might, they might, they might have evolved differently. You, you might have had stag nights before hen nights existed, or hen nights before stag nights existed. But yeah, you're right. Why would yeah, you? Yeah, but have... surely whichever one came first, then we should have chosen. You'd think there'd be a relationship between the so two, that wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, I mean, a relationship between a stag and a hen, there'd be all sorts of trouble. It wouldn't exactly. be appropriate at all. Um, I shall find out for you. What, what origins of hen and so stag? Are you getting married soon, or is this just a broader inquiry? I've been married for five years, and I just wanted to know. Okay. Well, we shall try and find out for you. Still it's going all right, is it? No regrets? No, not at all. <laughs> going fine. Let's... Probably because of our hen and stag at the beginning of it. Set you up perfectly. Thank you. 20 minutes after 12 is the time. I don't know that, but I, I wouldn't... I... I wouldn't put any money on it not having been answered before on this show, but that's increasingly irrelevant. Uh, not least because there's about five times more people listening now than there were when we started doing this, so the idea of banning repetition is a little bit silly. Mark's in Bristol. Mark, question or answer? Oh, answer. Carry on. It's with regards to uh, the pilot and helicopter sitting on the right-hand side. Oh, yes. The um, helicopter pilot with his right hand controls the cyclic, which is the stick coming up through the legs, and the collective pitch lever is on the left-hand side. And in military helicopters, you have weapon systems on the left-hand side uh, attached to the cyclic. It's just easier. What? Why is it easier? Well, because most people are right-handed. Yeah. So you can control it. Like you could a stick you... in a fixed-wing aircraft, the cyclic. So you can do that, but also you're changing the pitch uh, of the rotor blades, but on the on the same into it goes so up it's and to down. Do, it's just like a I bar do. with a panel on it. Oh, so it's where uh, it's where the controls are, yeah. and and it leans to it favours right-handed people. I just I suppose I need to know why they couldn't have built it the other way. Do you see what I mean? What? Yeah, I've got no idea why in fixing no. aircraft they sit on the left. No. Um, I have no idea at all, but I know well, on helicopters, you sit on the right. What are your qualifications? Uh, I trained as a helicopter pilot. Yeah, that'll do, as it goes. But is it a full answer, this, in your opinion, if we don't know why aeroplane pilots sit on the left? No, that's, I mean, I, I didn't do fixing flying, I just did... No, I know you didn't. So. No, I'm just asking as a Mystery Hour contributor whether or not you feel your answer merits a round of applause. I feel it does, but I, I, I could I, just be impressed by your qualifications as a helicopter pilot. You don't meet a qualified helicopter pilot every call. I, I think I completely deserve a round of applause. Well, there we go. I'm glad we reached that conclusion. There we go. A round of applause for, for, for Mark. Um, I, might, I, I might accept an additional answer to the question of why aeroplanes um, pilots sit on the left. I hope that satisfies Ted who saw it on the telly last night. Uh, I really do. Robin's in Bedford. Robin, question or answer? Uh, it's a question, James. Carry on, Robin. Uh, oh yeah, hi, James. You might remember a little while ago I, I answered that. Sorry, I asked that question about Everest um, that went down so well. Which so one was I that? Set, well, it was, about, it was Everest always the highest mountain. Oh, yeah. yeah so I, I like set that. the bar pretty, you did. pretty high. Well, you've, you're here to redeem yourself. Go on, Robin. Yeah, my question is, and then it's, why can crabs, or how are crabs able to breathe both underwater and out of the water? Because you think of like fish. Fish have gills, obviously they breathe underwater. That's fine, they can't breathe out of water. And land mammals like us have lungs and we breathe out of the water, but we can't go underwater and breathe. Yeah, I like so that. It's not just crabs, crabs is it? Both. Yeah, it's also sort well, of amphibians. No. It was amphibians. Uh, yeah, I guess them as well. Yeah, I was thinking mainly of crabs, but there are other things as well, yeah. Why are you thinking mainly of crabs, Robin? You're having a tough time at the moment. <laughs> 
lobsters. Lobsters. Frogs. Frogs are a good one, yeah. I haven't thought of frogs, James. Yeah, yeah, good one. I could just list amphibians, but it's not. How do, how do amphibians work? How come they can breathe in and out of water? That's what we want to know. It might not be the same answer for all of them. So we'll begin with crabs, for want of a slightly less unforgiving phrase. Uh, how do crabs work? Uh, breathing in and out of water. I like that one. The, the origins of hen and stag. I like that one as well. The smallest animal that could kill a conscious human being. All of those are up for grabs. What have you got? Alex is in Wembley. Alex, question or answer? Hi, it's an Hello. answer. Oh, good. Yeah, so in terms of the world's smallest animal that can kill you, hmm. it, I think it's the banana spider. Usually when uh, they try to, you know, to pick the bananas, they basically the spider sits between the the fruits and they can basically kill the pickers. How big is a banana spider? Uh, I think it's roughly two inches, two inches and a half. I, 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 what are your qualifications for this, Alex? Uh, basically, I've studied biology in uh, in college. Well, so did I, mate. But I wouldn't necessarily yeah. cite that as a quality. Well, I say in college. I did it yeah. up to GCSE. Yeah. You just, I don't know whether it's your natural character or whether it is okay. specific to this contribution, but you're, you don't sound very certain. Mm, yes, I am certain. Oh, I'm good. not from this country. I'm no. uh, Romanian, actually. So, no, no yeah. right, that, that's absolutely fine. Don't worry. It's, yeah. it's, 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 um, it's only 25 past 12. It's, it's a little no. bit later in the day that Romanians aren't welcome. But we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you just said, I think, and then you said probably. There was just a few words in there that made me think you didn't have this down as knowledge, but you're telling me that you actually do. Yes, I do. Well, then, in that case, you get a round of applause. The banana spider. What? Yep. Right. Thank you. Hang on, we're getting, a, we're, getting a, we're getting, I'm getting people barking in my ear for reasons I don't fully understand. I, I, I'm going to give you a round of applause, and if someone wants to launch a steward's inquiry later in the program, they can. A banana spider, two inches. There must be some. There might be something smaller than that, mate. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It was the smallest one I can think about. I'm going to give you half a round of applause, all right? Just because you seem like <laughs> such a nice bloke. And I want you to know that, 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 that people from Romania are welcome on LBC for much. at least 23 hours of the day. Uh, round of applause. Half a round of applause for Alex, please. Thank you. Don't get any trains. Uh, Annie's in Guildford. Annie, question or answer? Um, it's a question, please. And my kids will be thrilled because when I asked them this question on the way back from camping in Dorset last week, there ain't nothing mystery our question, don't ask us. Yeah, nice one. Uh, we- we were driving back from Dorset, and um, we were coming up the A3, and there were lots of road signs, brown road signs, offering eateries in pubs and restaurants. But they've all got a spoon and a fork um, instead of a knife and a fork. So our question was, knife and a fork is associated with eating food. Why a spoon and a fork? Because a fork might look like something... I, I don't know that... I don't, I'm trying to picture the signs that you've seen. A, a spoon it's and a cross. So yeah. the fork goes to the right and the spoon goes to the left as a cross. Well, it's, it's easy. The right it's, it's, easy. it's easy, isn't it? It's because a spoon's easier to draw. And a knife. Yeah. A knife? <laughs> I thought you were talking about a fork. It's a spoon and a fork. Oh, well, a knife could yeah. be anything. It could be. It just doesn't look like anything. A knife It's just a stick. It could be a... No. It's saying stop and eat here, but here's a spoon and here's a fork, not a knife and a fork. Yeah. All right. A spoon and a fork. <laughs> A spoon and a fork. I'm just trying to think if there's a really obvious answer that's currently eluding me. I don't... 
That's why it's a mystery hour question. Not, it's not specifically an Italian restaurant that you've seen, is it? No, no it, we're coming up sure? by Gilbert White's house on the A3, yeah. um, down from Portland, up the A3. All the motorway services, all the bound signs, the inns, pubs, eateries, restaurants, stop and eat. Stop here. saying eatery. Oh. No one ever says eatery. Why are you saying eatery to me? Um, eatery is like romp. It's, it's a word that no one uses except in tabloid newspapers. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Somewhere that you would stop and eat. A motorway service station is exactly the same. They're all Smooth. I've never noticed. Let me just check with Keith. Keith drives hundreds of miles a week. Is this true, Keith? Yep. Yep. You got got the Keith endorsement there. Why a spoon and a fork, not a knife and a fork? Yeah. Drinks? It's saying drinks? No, that's silly. No, there's a petrol thing. There's a spoon and a fork, and it'll give you where you can eat. Hotels, beds. Yeah. No, you're on. All right, I'll find out. It does seem a little odd, uh, given that, that ordinarily we'd associate a knife and fork with our cutlery. I, I shall try to find out for you, Annie. Did you have a nice holiday? Was it a pleasant time? It was awesome. We walked along Chesil Beach, we did Chesil Portland, Beach. we visited... Yeah, we just had an amazing time. The weather was glorious. We love camping, so... Yeah, and then we camped with the Scouts this weekend. Win-win. Where are you going this weekend? Whereabouts are you camping this weekend? Um, back in Bentley Cops, up in Cup of Guildford. I'm Camp Chef this weekend, so we're about to do the shopping. Oh, well, lucky them. Lucky then. What's on the menu? Oh, spaghetti bolognese, beans, hot dogs and s'mores. S'mores. Lots of marshmallows. S'mores are special. Lots of bacon and eggy bread. Mm, mm, Fantastic. (laughs) I'm getting hungry thinking about it. S'mores, for people who don't know, are when you squish a melted marshmallow between two biscuits, ideally two chocolate biscuits, and you get an astonishing sort of sticky, gooey deliciousness. Mmm. And diabetes. It's 29 minutes after 12. You're listening to James O'Brien, where we need answers to the question of why do eateries, when advertised on roadsides, feature graphics, what are they called, of, of spoons and forks rather than knives and forks? And, and a few others. Let's squeeze in one more. Louise is in Seven Oaks. Louise, question or answer? Question, please. Carry on, Louise. Uh, so my five-year-old daughter has got a soft toy. That is a rabbit. And it's got two names. It's called uh, Rebecca Rabbit or Becca Bunny. And a... Uh, she told me on uh, this weekend that I wasn't allowed to call her Becca Bunny anymore because she wasn't a rabbit. She wasn't which, a what uh, rabbit? A, a baby rabbit. Oh, I see. Um, at which point I blew my kids' minds by telling them that a baby rabbit was not a bunny. And then the inevitable question of, well, why do we call them bunny rabbits then? And I didn't know. So I thought, I'd come and ask you. I like that, actually. <laughs> so, so why do we call a rabbit a bunny? Yeah. Pretty simple. I like it. Do you know what a baby rabbit is called? A kit. Correct. Kitten. Yeah, kitten. Yeah. Nice one, we, we, we investigated that, but we got no further. Cool. <laughs> I, I shall try. I'm just hoping something might pop into my mind, but I don't think it's going to. I'm, I'm having a terrible... I'm having a nightmare today, Louise. I normally collect rounds of applause like they're going out of fashion on the programme, but I haven't got one yet. Why is why is a rabbit called a bunny? A bunny rabbit? A bunny? A bonny rabbit? A bun, bunny? 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 Bony? No? I've got nothing. All right, I'll try and find out for you. Thank you, Louise. Lisa Aziz is here now with the headlines. Mystery Hour on LBC with James O'Brien. 12.35 is the time. Just a a quick word of sympathy to all those people in Bridge End set to potentially lose their job as a result of that closure. It is my job, and I take no pleasure in this at all, to remind you that in July of 2016, the Financial Times reported that Ford was considering closing plants in the UK and across Europe in response to Britain's vote to leave the EU as it forecast a $1 billion hit to its business over the next two years. Those forecasts, frankly, not worth the paper they were written on because uh, they were contingent upon so many 
um, unknown unknowns, like what will the Bank of England do with regard to qualitative easing? When will we trigger Article 50? George Osborne's forecasts, which I think lent towards the um, extreme end of the scale, but were all contingent upon Article 50 being triggered the day after the vote came in and built upon the uh, economic landscape staying the same, not being massively skewed by Mark Carney's decision to um, inject huge amounts of cash into the economy. But there we go. It's no comfort, of course, to the workers at Ford in Bridgend uh, that this was uh, both expected and predicted. But it's very, very important to, to keep pointing that out because otherwise the people who poo-pooed those predictions and um, mocked those expectations and coined phrases like Project Fear, when they move on to the next con, they might get away with that one as well. So that's why we have to keep pointing it out, even though the massive priority is simply sympathy, not just for the um, hundreds and hundreds of workers in Bridgend, but also, of course, for all of the businesses that will be dependent upon that plant. Uh, everything from the supply chain right through to the local sandwich shop. Everything gets hit. Everything gets hurt. And it was optional. First country in the history of humanity to vote to impose economic sanctions on itself. 12.37 is the time. Enough of that. Back to Mystery Hour. Raj is in Stanmore. Raj, question or answer? Mr O'Brien, answer I have for you. Carry on, Raj. Hen night and stag night parties. Oh, yes. Hen night. That term actually derives from henna. In the Middle East and, and uh, Indian and Asia and all that, they have henna parties. Oh. It's actually an abbreviation for henna. Are you sure about this? I mean, I yeah. know you're right, because the bride and... I've been in the for 25 years about that. You say that again? Been in the trade for 25 years, the party trade. Have you really? Because I know, no, I know you're right about henna. You, you, you paint your hands and all stuff <laughs> like right. that. But um... and they usually have henna parties on the Middle East and Indian side where they actually paint their hands with the henna, etc. So this is a shortage for henna, which becomes hen. And obviously on the Western side, they've derived it to cockerels, etc. and other mm. male parts in it. And, and, and right. I, all right. I, go on. And stag? Stag, there's no... It's, it's just, just usually a male character. So, for example, Australia called it a buck. So it's not... Stag is just being used and it's just fallen into place. But there's nothing... So there's no significance to the flag, as long as it's male. You know, for uh, Americans, for example, say bachelorette and stag. I'm not having henna, mate. Sorry. Why not? But, well, hen is just a word for females. It's a, it's a figure of speech up and down the country. You say, in the northeast, they call you hen-like. Let's see. You're not going to get males wearing henna party, uh, having henna parties, are you? No, but it's a, just another word for women, hen. How do you know? How do you mean, how do I know it is? No, I'm asking you, how do you know? Well, you tell me. I mean, tell me about a male well, I've been hen. in the trade for 25 years. That's you why. can't have been in the trade for 25 exactly. years. That's like me saying I've been in the trade of words well, for 25 years. So I'm a lot more, I'm a lot better qualified than you. I've been, yeah. I've been a wordsmith but for I'm 25 gonna, I'm gonna, years. I'm not going to trade in something without knowing the background now, am I, Mr O'Brien? No, you're not having it. There's no way that hen is short for henna. Well, I tell you what, why don't you come down to the balloon and party in Stanmore and then I'll show you what we're I'm talking not, about. I'm not going to Stanmore. It's not all the tea in China. <laughs> I'm not having them. What was the origin of stag then? Well, stag, there isn't any origin. It's just got to be a male character, male species. As in a buck, as in Australia. I think you'll find that the first stag party was held in 5th century Sparta, mate. Yes, that's right. That's where, no, that's where the first party started, the stag part of it. Mm. But the henna goes back even further back. Henna parties have been around for years. Henna has been around for, for God, billions of years. Oh, I'll tell you. Well, right, hang on, uh, but, but just, just 
Get back in your box. For Are a you Googling? No, I'm not. Now. I'm not. I'm just consulting with my top team of crack operatives. Oh, they're Googling. Wait it. there. No one's Googling anything. We're I just going to. I'm going to ask. It. No, don't. Because you'll lose. You'll end up not getting a round of applause just because we don't like you. Oh, You've got to be more likable, right? Wait. I'm, I'm just going to just pause. Seriously, my t- <laughs> dial it down a bit. I'm just going to chat with my crack team of operatives. Keith. Absolutely. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Keith. Keith wavering. Ava. No. Ava's got a no here. I'm going for the third referee in football and cricket. Holly. Ollie says no. Mate, I think you might be right, but I'm not going to gallop to your rescue because I think you've been a little bit previous in your in your attitude towards the not only me, the host, but also the importance and the sanctity of the feature and the programme. So I get it right and then I still get slaughtered. Yeah, exactly. That's, no, how, with you, Mr. That's how it works, Mr. Raj. Thank you very much. If he's right, I will give him a retrospective round of applause. 12.40 is the time. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. Paul is in Wimbledon. Paul, question or answer? It's a question, James. Carry on. I'd like to know why we have not put another man physically on the moon since 1972. It's, the, it's, it's all about the Benjamins, mate. The Benjamins. It's all about the money. And all the money we spent on everything else. It doesn't matter. There's no, point, there's no point going to this. It's being done. It's, it, 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 it's, it's too expensive to do it again. And you don't believe that any other countries want to do it? So they might, they might do, do but, well. I mean, who? Who, who would do it? <laughs> I, mean, what, I, is this, I, I need to double check. I, I need to double check because Raj has got me on my back foot now. Is, it, are you, is this the precursor to introducing some sort of conspiracy theory to the program? No, I wasn't going to do that. Mm. Some, someone has said that to me. They're, they're saying it, it, didn't, it never actually happened, but I mean, I, I don't believe that at all. Well, then the answer but, is uh, because it costs so much money, and they've done a cost-benefit analysis and decided that it's not worth it. There can be no other answer. When you've eliminated the impossible, whatever is left, however improbable, must be the truth. I do understand what you're saying, but I do question the fact that no other country would like to say that they've actually done it as well. So, so what's we, your we, theory we, then? That experience to only one man, only one one man. Well, what's the point? Who wants to be the second? Well, who wants to be the fifth person to walk on the moon? <laughs> Fourth person. Well, you might, be. you might, you might be right, James. You could, you could be right. No, I, 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 mate, I, it's almost like I don't know what my book's called. Of course, I'm right. <laughs> Round of applause for me. Okay, thank, thank you, Paul. And you were trying to smuggle in a conspiracy theory. Do not fib to me, Paul. I will always be able to tell. It's like my mum when I used to fib to her. How the hell she used to do that, I do not know. Speaking of my little book, um, I will be in conversation with Danny Wallace at the Shaw Theatre here in London as part of a Penguin live event next Wednesday. I need to check, actually, what the ticket situation is because I'll stop plugging it when we flogged them. But if you want to come along, it should be fun. You can find a link at the top of my Twitter feed, at Mr. James O.B., and you can find the book in the window of every single Waterstones in the land. I can't believe it either. Tony's in East Finchley. Tony, question or answer? Question, please. Carry on, Tony. Um... Two basic methods of going forward, walking and running. Yes. Presumably at some point, uh, it becomes more efficient to run than to walk. What's the difference? Well, I don't know, because you're thinking, I'm thinking of the speed walkers. So it's probably, yeah. it's not defined by momentum, I wouldn't have thought. It's defined by motion. So what are the, it's heel to toe, isn't it? Yeah, and running, your your foot is off the ground for longer or something. But there must be a rule that, 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 that if we look yeah. at speed walking in the Olympics, do they still do that? I don't, I don't know. I know, nor do I. But there must be a rule, because you could have a speedwalker who's walking faster than you or yeah. I could run. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean it's more efficient. Presumably, there is a speed, depending on the person, at some po- at which point it becomes easier to run than to walk. Uh, and that, oh, I, miss, I, oh, oh, I don't know if you're going to get an answer. I thought you were essentially asking, what's the difference between walking yeah, and running? Yeah, that is. I mean, I don't know what the point is. Presumably, it varies. But the point is, the question is, why? Why is it more efficient to run at a certain speed than walk? I, I, I don't think you'll get an answer to that. I think you might have got a di- an answer to what's the difference between running and walking in, in terms of the definition of what your limbs are doing or how long your foot's off the ground or something like that. But well, at some point, there must it must be more efficient. Well, I know you keep saying that, but I don't think that there's going to be an answer to it, Tony. I don't think right. someone's going to ring in and right. say, oh, yes, at 4.8 miles per hour, it becomes uh, more... Because we might have well, no, something to do with your weight or your height up. or how long your legs are. Some people but can run faster than others. Most people could. I mean, it's, there's so many variables, Anthony. Yeah, but presumably at some point, um, the inefficiency of having both legs off the ground at the same time. But then we need like to that. know what the definition of running is. Well, we could include that. No, because you're only allowed one question, which is why I'm hitting myself over the head trying to tell you that you've asked the wrong one. Okay, what's the difference between walking and running? <laughs> She's just so charming. I'm going to stick your second one on the board as well. 12.45. Coming up at one on LBC, Sheila Fogarty. Utah, Omaha, gold, Juno, sword, where Allied forces began the liberation of Europe from Nazi barbarism 75 years ago today. Hear their voices from one. Sheila Fogarty on LBC. Mystery Hour on LBC with James O'Brien. It's 12.48. Crikey, where does the time go? Um, Blighty, we've done that. What's the smallest animal that can kill a human? Uh, we gave a small round of applause to the suggestion that it was a banana spider, but I've, I'm not convinced. So someone have a crack at that. We've only got 10 minutes left. Origins of Hen and Stag, do's. Um, Raj got quite previous, so he didn't get a round of applause. Possibly he deserved one, uh, if you can sound more convincing and charming than he did. And uh, the round of applause is yours. How can crabs breathe both under, both under, I'll, get, I'll just put my teeth in and try again. How can crabs breathe both underwater and outer water? Why do signs on motorways denoting food selling establishments, food serving establishments or eateries, as Annie likes to call them, uh, why do they have a spoon and a fork on them instead of a knife and a fork? Why are rabbits called bunnies? And what's the difference between walking and running? I like all of these. Can we crack on? Uh, Charlie's in Chessington. Question or answer, Charlie? Hello, James. Question, please. Carry on. I would like to know where Luke came from in the phrase, Luke warm. Ah, okay. I mean, we're only supposed to have one origin of phrases question a week, but we seem to have about three this week, but that's a reflection. That's not your fault, mate. It's just a reflection on the relative newness of my production team. But um, I I, 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 I usually know these ones, mate. I'm normally really good at this. I'd say old English, but you want a lot more than that, don't you? Yeah, well, I mean, we always like an attempt. I would prefer the definitive. Yeah, no, that's the least I can do is try and get you one. So can we do that, lukewarm? What's the origin of Luke in the context of lukewarm as a, as a temperature? Lukewarm water, drinkable, lukewarm could put your hands... It's not coming. Sometimes they come, sometimes they come. They just put it It's gone like warm. There's Luke. That's what it'll be. It'll be... Nope, it's gone. Charlie, good question. Kieran's in Wilmington in Kent. Ch- Kieran, question or answer? Well, I think I've got an answer for you. Carry on, Kieran. Um, I am a UK athletics running coach and I've got a BSc fitness science degree and I'm also a Nordic walking and a Nordic running coach. Wow. So, so you're I here to answer the question about crabs then? 
Well, I don't know. It's a David Niven joke, but I couldn't really repeat that on the on the TV, on the radio. Do not carry on. So, is the difference between walking and running? Well, the difference. Well, when you walk, you always have one foot planted on the ground. When you're running, there is a a part of the motion where you don't have any. And that's it. And that's the difference. That is the difference. Yes, I think I got a bit confused when I was listening because I couldn't quite work out what the question was. Well, he was saying he was saying at what point, if you're trying to keep one foot on the ground, would it become counterproductive? So he was sort of asking, is there a speed at which efficiency would demand that you start running rather than walking? Well, that's a complicated biomechanical question. I can answer it for you, but I think I might bore you to tears. Can you? I mean, would it be true for all bipeds, though? Sorry, say again? It wouldn't be true for all bipeds, surely. It would be an individual answer for each individual person because the speed of yeah, an eight-foot person would, would need to start running would be different from Jimmy well, Cranky. It's probably more to do with the length of their legs, of your legs. Exactly. Um, so, so, exactly. Yeah. so you can't answer it, object. There won't be a number that applies equally to all. No, there would not be so a number so, that equal But all. you've gone with the uh, definition of the difference between walking and running. When you're running, both feet will be off the ground at some point. There, there will be, yes, because you need to create a perfect circle to enhance the momentum that you want to keep moving forwards. And, and do, you can't do that when you're walking. Perfect. And I wonder whether you know, whether you can remember from your studies, uh, do you know the circumstances in which human beings generally move fastest, normal human beings outside of an athletic context, move fastest without removing, ever removing both feet from the floor? I'm sorry, I I don't understand the question. It's it's a condition that all human beings have at some point experienced, and it generally sees them move faster while technically still walking than they have at any other point in their lives. Do you know what that condition is? Uh, No. (laughs) Diarrhea. I'd have to have a little bit of a think about that. It's diarrhea. Yeah, we could be. Yeah, always get shorter. You try walking. You you try walking. Yeah, round of applause for Kieran. Thank you, Keith, in your own time. Well played, Kieran. And and what, what what's the most exciting thing you've done in your athletics career as coach or participant, Kieran? What's my what, sorry? Most exciting sort of athletic thing you've done. Um, well, I did run 10-9 in the 100 once. And, <sighs> That'll do. There you go. And see. that was when I was 15, but I didn't, I didn't follow it up. So, um, <laughs> All the great. I, I, I have quick genes. You do indeed have quick genes. Thank you. 12.53 is the time. Connor is in Cricklewood. Connor, question or answer? Uh, it's an answer. Good man. Carry on. Uh, it's for the insects that can kill a human. Yes. Uh, it is a harvester ant. A harvester ant? Harvester ants. They are about the size of a tic tac. Yeah. And they are the most, they have the most toxic venom of any insect in the world. And they use it to kill their prey so that they can then eat their prey. Basically, and uh, what makes me more terrifying is that they like to hunt in packs as opposed to on their own. Where, where do you find them generally? Not in Cricklewood. No, they're in uh, sort of uh, southern of the United States. Are they really? Yeah. Oh, qualifications? Uh, I have a very curious five-year-old son who has a healthy obsession with Steve Factual Wildlife Program. Oh, great work. Round of applause for you, for your, for, for your son and for Steve. Thank you. Nice one, Connor. I love that. So quickly, origin of the... What, what, what's the what, why do we say lukewarm? Where does Luke come from? Why do we call rabbits bunnies? This is why we only generally have one derivation question a week, because otherwise we get bogged down in them. Um, why do the restaurant ad, uh, signs on motorways feature a spoon and a fork instead of a knife and a fork? And how do amphibians breathe both in and out of water? Matthew's in Perpignan in France. Ah, lovely. Indeed. Good morning. Hello, Matthew. Question or answer? 
Uh, it's an answer to uh, the helicopter and aeroplane. Oh, yes. Now, a helicopter needs to always be flown. I, you have to keep your hand, the right hand, well, it's mainly the right hand because most people are right-handed, mm. on the controls. If you don't, the helicopter will crash. Yes. An aeroplane can fly on its own. So, therefore, it doesn't really matter if the pilot takes his hand off the control stick okay. and moves around pressing buttons. But a helicopter pilot must always, because the helicopter does not want to fly. But he it, could, you could still have had the handle on the right of the pilot and the seat on the left of the cockpit. It's to do, I suppose, it's to do with ergonomics. It's just mm. that to put the, the handle where it's easier for the pilot to keep his hand on the stick and fly it and also reach the buttons. Makes sense. And, and I mean, equally, I could ask, why don't they? Why don't aeroplane pilots sit on the right? Why do, they, do we know I don't why? think it matters. No, I don't think it matters either, so it's probably just tradition. Or port yeah. and starboard. It might have something to do with port and starboard. It may well do. And also, one of the first um, designers of helicopters was a chap called Sikorsky. Maybe Sikorsky. something to do with Russia. Maybe. I don't know. Well, and qualifications? So... <laughs> Very tenuous. God, they're, they're, uh, they're, my favorite, they're my favourite kind. Come on. <laughs> when I was young, I, had, I was the proud owner of a Gripping Hands Action Man. Yes. And a gripping and a, an Action Man helicopter. And I was playing with it in the garden age, I don't know, 11, 12. Yeah. And the neighbour, who had been a helicopter pilot, said, oh, you've got the Action Man holding the joystick, or whatever it's called, with the wrong hand. And he went on to explain... And strange enough, for an eleven-year-old, I listened rather than going. Oh, what, that's not. Go that, away, that, that's not even. Man. That's not even vaguely tenuous. That's a thing of beauty as qualifications. Well, it's, about, well it, 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 it's something that's been in the back of my mind for forty odd years, and only because I heard the question come up on your program uh, did it come back to the forefront of the, of, of, of the brain. So there you go. Good man. I had oranges last week when you were on holiday. I did. I they, read that with, and laughed. But, I smiled. Oh, when yeah, I saw my that. flipping children. Honestly, I don't know. They're born. <laughs> so, so drank, they drank the stuff, but they weren't impressed by me taking my electric orange squeezer on holiday. I had Hello, that. I mean, Speaking of electrics, did it? Did you? Did the helicopter have the little cylinder of batteries that made the blades go round? I had that one, and the big glass—the not glass, but the oh, yeah, clear yeah, the plastic front. thing that came off, didn't it? The, the, yeah, the yeah, cover yeah, of the yeah. cockpit. So, how I old are you? Not, I was spoiled as a child. How old were you, if you don't mind me asking? How old are you? Well, I had it. Yeah. No, uh, now. How I old was, are you now? Late forties. Oh, 50, fifty-six. Fifty-six. Okay, so it was quite a long shelf life. I also had the Action Man parachute that you could throw off. off, off I threw yes, it off the I top. Yes, I had that. I had that. We're I, very and privileged. I also had the one where you pulled a string and it get, sh- th- sh- shouted out orders. Oh, I hate you now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I had, a, I had everything to do with that. Round of applause for Matthew. A man <laughs> after my own heart. I threw my action man off the roof of the multi-storey car park next to Waitrose in Kidderminster and it floated gently to the ground. Uh, I was going to add, and then someone nicked it and ran away, but that wouldn't be true and it would paint Kidderminster in a very negative light. Alan is in Beckenham in Kent. Alan, question or answer? Well, it's an answer. Carry on, Alan. Uh, it's the answer about how do crabs breathe. Oh, yes. And uh, I suppose you've heard the term dead man's fingers, have you? Probably, yes. But not in dead this man's fingers? Yeah, go on. No? Well, crabs have uh, man's fingers, and um, they are the gills of a crab. So they've got two separate respiratory systems? They have uh, gills, like um, so, fish. And why don't they like work? A, like a, a lobster. Well, they're not like fish, because fish can't breathe out of water. Um... So that was the question. How can crabs breathe in and out of water? 
Okay, I just caught the end. That's all right, mate. That's, but, it's okay. They have, they I'm going to sack. I'm going to sack the producer, but you, I don't want you to feel embarrassed by this in any way, shape, or form. I need to know what they can do differently. So you're right. You're just sort of sneaking at the end. You can say, "I shall squeeze in Phil in Reading." Question or answer, Phil? Uh, it's an answer. Go on. So lukewarm. Yeah. Um, comes from about the, I think it's either the 15th or 16th century. Yeah. Um, there was an old English word. Um, basically, which was pronounced Luke, uh, L-E-W-K. Yeah, that sounds about um, right. That it, and it kind of meant sunny or warm. Oh, yeah. And so um, they... Uh, That'll do, mate. You're over they, the line. You're over the line. Sheila's here. She, she, what, what are your qualifications? <laughs> oh, hang on. Keith's already made uh, a... No, it's all right. Keith's made an executive decision. You've already had your round of applause. Crikey, I'll go away for a, for a couple of weeks. I miss, I miss one mystery hour, and it's, it's almost like the lunatics have taken over the asylum. Children are running wild. Isn't it unbelievable? <laughs> Oh, luckily, the grown-ups are here. It's focusing. Thank you very much indeed, uh, James. Place names, men's names. Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, Sword, Pegasus Bridge, Normandy, Bayeux. Young men, young lads, some of them dying before they even reach the shore. We couldn't help them. And that is my most abiding memory. And I can't forget it. Well, we won't. Today on the northern coast of France, a number of ceremonies have been going on since dawn, starting with a lone piper at the moment at what the French call the Great Disembarkation began. Not an invasion, a liberation. Let's remember them all today.